0: Man, I I love the stories of life change, and I love something she said there, man. Uh, When she came to church, that there were people who she didn't know had been praying for And and then I love this line, and I wanted to be one of those people. I want to be like that. You know, we're we're in a sermon series, Relationship Goals, and what we're talking about is really how people ought to see us. Like how, how our lives ought to be lived in such a way that who we are in Christ is evident, and how we go about doing things, and how we... Treat people. So, in this series, I've been given some some hashtags. All right. So, uh, uh, you know, the first one was common ground that we have to honor the, the common ground we have with people. So, this week, I thought I'd look up some of the most popular hashtags on some social media platforms. This week, Twitter, the first one was competition. I don't know what the competition was, but obviously there was one going on. Then there's influencer. There's influencer marketing, but then there's two that maybe people relate to a little bit more. There's one called Friday feeling, right? Like obviously there's this feeling that goes along with Friday. Do y'all know what that is, right? Anybody experience that? So there's that hashtag. And then the other one was Monday motivation, hashtag Monday motivation. Who needs motivation on Mondays? Anybody relate to that? Yeah, I need a little. Yeah, it's typically not found on Twitter, but anyway. Instagram. First one was love, because that's where you're going to find out what love is, on Instagram. Yeah, that's how that's going to happen. Fashion was the next one. Art was third. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I see like pictures of art, and sometimes I want to tell people, just because paint is involved, doesn't mean it's art. Like, I don't know what that is, but we might disagree on your hashtag. Um, the third one is Photography. Now, I'm not on Instagram much, to be honest. I have an account, but it's all photos. Isn't everything on there, photography? Isn't that the whole point of the platform? Like, I'm a little confused about the hashtag. And then then the last one is happy, because that's where you're going to be happy, right there on Instagram. And then TikTok. Number one hashtag is TikTok. We're already here, right? Like, obviously, we already know about TikTok, right? And then for your page, which I guess is something for TikTok, which can also be FYP, which is the third one, or for you. And the last one's viral, because if you want something to go viral, you need to call it viral before it goes viral, obviously. But I discovered something. This is a growing trend on TikTok, and I'm personally very excited about it. I think I would get it. It's this, it's hashtag dads of TikTok. Boom! Come on, dads, let's take over all the TikTok challenges. Come on, dad's a fellowship, let's own it. I'm gonna at my kids all the time. I mean, tag them, it's not at them, it's tag them, right? Man, Kara was in the first service, she is mortified, right? But it's gonna be so much fun. I actually had this other idea. We, we can start one, hashtag pastors of TikTok, Brian. Brian can dance though, like that's not fair. Brian can dance. Um, but anyway, so, so it's gonna be fun, right? Like, but that's what hashtags are, are supposed to do this. This is what hashtags are supposed to do. They're supposed to point everything to all these things that show the same thing. All right, so while we have hashtags, I am not trying to start any hashtag trends. I could care less. But I will tell you this. The things we're talking about, when they look at the lives of believers, these are the things that they ought to see. That we honor the common ground that we have with people. That we love people where they are. that that if you share work with someone and that's really all you share with them, that you can love them there. You know, we as believers, sometimes if we're not careful, we get so busy um, with our own self-righteousness that we get mad at people who don't know Jesus for living like people who don't know Jesus. And we don't honor any common ground. And I'm gonna tell you this, where you don't have any common ground, you no longer have a mission field. You'll never reach anyone with the love of Jesus until you can love some people with the love of Jesus that need to know the love of Jesus. You got to honor that common ground. That we as believers ought to have relationships that are Christ centered. That others ought to look at us and go, man, the cord of three strands is not easily broken, man. You see that relationship, you see that friendship, you see that marriage, it's built on something different. They ought to be able to look at us and see considerate care. Man, the followers of Christ, man, they consider other people before themselves because that's who we are. They care about one another. They bear one another's burdens. There's something about those people that's different. Humility before happiness was last week. And these people would choose what is giving of themselves instead of what is getting for themselves. That they would choose that. You know, in this series... Before we dive into Proverbs 25 today, that's where we're going to be, Proverbs 25, 8 through 11. I want to remind you that we're in the wisdom writings. We've looked at Ecclesiastes. Uh, We're going to be in Proverbs again today. The wisdom writings also include Song of Solomon, um, some of the Psalms. and, and, And in these wisdom writings, we're learning about what is wisdom. And wisdom is the ability to use knowledge correctly. Just because you know something doesn't mean you're doing what you ought to do with what you know. Wisdom is the ability to take what you know and to use it correctly. And wisdom, really, when you get to scriptural wisdom, is how to live in the places where there is not a clear right and wrong. You know, not every decision in your life is between right and wrong. Sometimes it's the decision between good, better, and best. And the wise person chooses best. And so that's what, that's what wisdom is. It's the ability to, to live this out, to, to make these decisions. And we learn from Ecclesiastes this truth that everything in life has the, the capacity of, va- of value or a vanity. Everything in life, every relationship, you can live it out in, in, in vanity, which means it's all about me, or it can be a value where I add value into the lives of others. Everything you own, all of your work, everything in your life can either be a value or it can be a vanity. Depends on on how you rightly or wrongly relate to it. You know, it's that we would allow the things that God has given to us to have the value that God intended them to have. Everything in life is, is capable of that. And then also this truth. People who love Jesus love people. People who love Jesus love people well. In John chapter 13, verse 35, it says this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. Everybody should be able to look at our lives, get a little snapshot of our lives and what they should see in us is the love of Christ. So today as we continue in our... Hashtags, this is the one for today is no assumptions allowed. If we're gonna have healthy, God-honoring relationships, we have to rid our lives of assumptions. We have to quit acting on assumptions. Why? Because we operate by the truth, not by assumptions. And so, how do we live that out? Proverbs chapter 25. It actually starts with 7B, um, the end of 7, what your eyes have seen. Do not hastily bring to court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself. By the way, let me, first of all, argue. Um, Before we use the word like we use the word, all right? This is not, hey, go around having arguments with your neighbors, right? This is, the word argue here is to have a thought through discussion. Like if you're going to bring something to your neighbor that you've given it enough time and attention that you know you actually have something, first of all, worth bringing to your neighbor and that you know what you need to say. Like that's an argument legally. It's actually kind of like a legal term, right? It's not about, when we think argue, we think volume, body language. God, I have a body language problem when I have a disagreement with people I know about it. I like to roll my eyes. Anybody else's mom ever tell them when they were growing up, you, you roll those eyes again, I'll keep them rolling. You know what I mean? Like, I knew what she meant. Like, I knew what she was talking about, right? Like, I, I, sometimes when my mom was getting on me, I would just close my eyes. not rolling those eyes, right? And if I do roll them, she can't see them rolling because I don't want them to keep rolling, right? And so, and so that we would we bring your, and then it also says to your neighbor himself. Himself. He goes on to say this and do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute will have no end. No assumptions allowed. If you see something, what are you supposed to do with it? The first thing we need to learn today is this assumptions kill relationships. When we make assumptions, we kill our capacity to have a right relationship with the person or the people we are making assumptions about. Because we're not operating by the truth, we're operating by our assumption of the truth. See, assumption is this you saw something, so you bring it to court. You give it no context, there's no conversation. You just believe that this, this window or view that you had into this person, into their actions, into their words, into what happened in a moment is worthy of others knowing about it. Whether it's the, the, a, a court or the court of public opinion, that is what you believe. You believe you know everything about that even though you've done nothing to learn about that. And assumptions kill relationships. See, assumption of intention. Of conduct. So there's two things here. There's conduct. There's what we do. And then there's intention that we give to somebody's conduct. Now, I'm going to stop right here and make sure we all understand something. Everybody in this room has done wrong towards somebody else. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all said words we shouldn't have said. We've all said them in ways we shouldn't have said them. We've gone about things in the way we shouldn't have done Here's why you have to be careful. When you begin to make an assumption that you know someone's intention that's found in their conduct. When you make an assumption about the intention of someone's conduct, it causes you to commit assassination of their character. All of a sudden, this thing that they have done Becomes everything that they are. This one thing becomes everything because you make an assumption and it kills the relationship. See, when you assume intention, you try to put yourself in the place of God. I want to tell you something. You're not that smart. You're not God. You know, one day, there's a story in Scripture. One day, uh, God wanted to choose for himself a king. So he sent a prophet by the name of Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king. And they brought in all of the sons of Jesse, with the exception of one small, ruddy guy, who was out in the field watching over the sheep by the name of David. They didn't even bother to go get him, because, I mean, he doesn't look like a king. They just left him out there in the field. Went all the way through the process. And the prophet literally had to say, are there no more sons? Oh, well, there's this one other son, but he's not even worth going to get. Go get him. Why? It goes on in scripture and it says, because God sees the heart. Problem is, we're not God. And we have to be careful that we don't become so consumed with our assumption that we create intention and we commit The assassination of someone else's character. See, the next thing it says is is don't go public with what is private. You see something that's not right. You don't need to go telling everybody that. Now I do want to stop here for a moment as I get into assumptions. Like I'm not talking about some if somebody's abusing you or violating you in any way. You need to go let somebody who can help you help you. Okay. Like I'm talking about just everyday issues in our relationships. We don't need to go public with something that's personal. The, the second thing about assumptions is assumptions are arrogance. It's arrogant to make assumptions. See, wise people ask, fools assume. A wise person asks. If there's a, if there's a conflict, they ask. They ask some questions. They, they ask why instead of assuming that they already know why. That they already know everything about what's going on. And what you're going through. And, and they don't. Fools make those assumptions. Wise people ask questions. It's arrogance because you assume you are smarter and you assume you are better. You also assume you're never at fault. We have to be careful with these assumptions. See, assumptions lead to gossip and slander. The types of things that God says are, are, are true of those people who will not inherit the kingdom of God, that we would not be these types of people. If you look around you, and there's always a a lot of broken relationships and hurt feelings. If you look around your friend group or your family, and there's always someone dealing with hurt, hurt feelings, being left out, being mistreated. I want you to hear today, there's probably a high number of sinful assumptions going on, either in you or in the group you're a part of. And you need to ask God to change it that God would change you because no assumptions allowed. When we assume why someone has done something, we lose the righteous ability to deal with what they have done. We're called to deal with wrong. But when we begin to make assumptions about why somebody has done something, and we begin to judge them, we lose the righteous ability for God to use us in correcting that and changing that. And that's what God desires. It's not that we ignore a speck in someone's eye. We just deal with the plank in our own first. We don't make assumptions about it. No assumptions allow. So today I want to give you three very practical truths from this passage about ridding your life of assumptions. How do you go about doing this in your relationships? Well, it says this, what your eyes have seen do not hastily bring into court. Here's, here's the first one. Slow down. Just slow down. When you're offended, slow down. When somebody hurts your feelings, slow down. Husbands and wives, when that conversation Begins to head in the direction of intense fellowship. Slow down. Just slow down a little bit. There's no reason to get hasty here. When when you're struggling with a coworker and they really just drop the ball on something or you're really aggravated with them, slow down. Don't get hasty in those moments. James 1.19 says be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry you know I, I want to give you a little insight into something that's being taught there because a lot of times we just jump to slow to speak but we're not quick to listen and we think just because I'm not talking about them means I'm not sinning against them and your mind is so full of assumptions and, arrogance and projecting of all kind of wrong on this person, and you don't know anything about what's going on. It's not just be slow to speak. It's be quick to listen. It's literally, if you're going to get in a hurry, get in a hurry to have a conversation with the person you're upset about so you can find out more about what's going on. That's what it's teaching us. Slow down. Stop assumptions by seeing the person not just the problem. See the person. Set your eyes on them. Have a conversation with them. Seek out reconciliation with them. Desire that it would be made right with them. People throw away marriages. People throw away families. Relationship with their parents. Relationship with their children. People throw away friendships because they see one thing and they make it everything. You know, you see one, maybe it's even a pattern of behavior in someone that they struggle with. Some people in the room are more quick-tempered than others. Some of you know this well. You're married to them. You're the child of that person. Somebody else is maybe not quick-tempered, but they've got that silent treatment down to an art form. They can ice you out and those two together, woo, frozen fireworks. You know what I'm talking about? Like it gets nasty. And all kinds of assumptions start being made. If we're, not care- if we're not careful, the character of someone who loves us in so many good ways is defined by this one thing that is a weakness and struggle and, and, and sin in their life. Like I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's okay. But if we're not careful, everything about them is defined by this one thing. And we lose and kill the relationships that we have over assumptions that we have made. I want you to look around you. If there's always relationship carnage around you, you're probably operating by assumptions. The second thing that we see is this. Speak with, not about. Go to argue the case with who? Your neighbor himself. Like that's emphasis. It's said twice. Your neighbor neighbor. Go go directly. Don't go to your neighbor's friend. Don't go to your neighbor's boss. Don't go to your neighbor's spouse. Don't go to your neighbor's kid. Don't go to your best friend who also hates your neighbor. Go to your neighbor. Speak with them. Not about them. Argue the case with your neighbor himself. This wisdom is actually not just wisdom. This actually gets into righteousness and unrighteousness. This is about sin when when we don't do these things right. Here's what it tells us in Scripture. If you go to offer a sacrifice and are at the altar, and you realize that you have offended your brother, you are to leave the sacrifice at the altar, not own it. At it. In other words, don't give the sacrifice. Leave it there. And go to your brother and be reconciled to your brother. And then come back and offer your sacrifice and worship. It says this. If you realize and you're aware that someone has offended you, you are to go to them. And here's the goal. That you might win back your brother. That's what you're being taught to do. You go and you win them back. Now, we're going to talk through this in a few weeks. We're going to get more into this. And then it says, if you're not able to do that, then you go get two or three witnesses. By the way, let me me just teach you real quick. A witness is not a teammate. You don't go find allies. You go find people who are going to be willing to speak truth into this. And what you might find out when you get some witnesses is that your assumptions are wrong and you're way more wrong than you thought you were that this problem's more you're doing than you ever would have thought that's what you might find out but you so badly want to be reconciled with your brother or sister that you're willing to find out that it's you that did the wrong cuz you just want it right those are the kind of things we're told to do and when we don't do those things we're sinning against others we are to speak with not about and here's something we need to learn about our assumptions is our assumptions set the settings of our words I want us to read a little bit further in uh, verse 11 here. It says, A word, fitly spoken, is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. That, that our assumptions define our attitudes and our approach. And attitudes and approach Matter. When you make a bunch of assumptions about someone and you've already decided all the wrong that they've done and why they did that wrong, I promise you, when you talk to them, you're not being nearly as Christ-like as you think you are. Because you've already made all these assumptions. That the setting of our words matter. How you say them. Are you speaking truth and love? Are you going to them for the purpose of reconciliation with them. Wise handling of conflict requires us to speak without assumptions. The next thing is speak to hear, not just to be heard. If you go to them, you you speak so that you might hear from them, not just that you might be heard by them. Anybody struggle with that when there's conflict? I do not like to listen when it's time of conflict. I like to talk. I like to be heard. I am capable of raising my voice and getting louder than the other person. Um, Probably the person who has to deal with that the most would be my wife. And I try to to not do it because if I love her, I want to hear her. That person's way more important to me than any problem we're having. I promise you that. Any conflict we're facing is way more important is way less important than my wife is to me. But sometimes I don't act like that. Sometimes I can act like the most trivial thing that upset me is way more important than her. We have to listen to to hear, not just to be heard. A wise messenger is a wise listener. It says, Like a gold of ring and an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his master. That we would be these types of, of people, that we would be faithful in our message. A wise message, a wise messenger is also a wise listener. But I do want to give you a warning here. Not everyone gets your ear. If you're going to have wise counsel in your life, you need wise listeners in your life. And, and people who have made assumptions about you and have a wrong and sinful attitude. You have to be careful about the counsel that you allow them to have in your life. If someone is handling whatever it is outside of the spirit of Christ, they are incapable of speaking the wisdom of Christ. You can't be lacking in your life love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness and faithfulness and self-control and at the same time be a, a, a wise counselor and faithful messenger. You have to be mindful of who you allow to be that counsel in your life because someone else's bitterness will never help you be better. So we do need to be mindful of that. So there's a few things I think we need to learn here. It is wise to say to someone, you did wrong to me. That's a wise thing to do. You were wrong to me. It is wrong, it is sinful to say they, that person, did wrong to me before you say to the person you did wrong to me. It is sin to go talk about them before you go talk to them. You're make, I promise you, you are creating a case that is no longer based in truth the more you talk about it without talking to them. Your assumptions are growing. And so is your arrogance. It's wrong to do that. And it is unwise to assume why someone has done wrong to you without dealing with who did what was wrong to you. It's just unwise. And here's why it's unwise How much emotion in your life have you wasted on assumption? How many of of emotions have you dealt with up and down? Just making assumptions about why somebody did something. How many, how many nights have you lost sleep because you're filled with emotion just because you made an assumption? If someone hates you and no longer likes you and all it was was they were having a bad day and you happened to come along in the midst of their bad day. There was a whole lot more going on than that little conversation that you had with them or that thing that they said and yet it was wrong, but it wasn't nearly the wrong you made it. How much emotion do we waste in our lives on assumptions we make? The last one is this. Seek no shame. Lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. Seek no one's shame. Why are you trying to bring them down? Is that the goal? Do you want them to be shamed? Do you want to talk about this person to this group of friends so that they would be shamed and no longer have that group of friends? Is that your intent? Why would you do that? Why would you treat another person that way? What good is in that? Why would we desire that? Ephesians 4.29 tells us this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Oh, that these would be our words. Here's the challenge I want to give you. If you must assume, always assume the best. If you're going to have to make an assumption, just assume the best. Say, you know what? I would imagine this person who I have a good relationship with who just said something incredibly hurtful to me has more going on in this moment than the things that they just said that were hurtful to me. Assume that. You've got to make an assumption. Assume the best. Go into the conversation. Direct one-on-one conversation. Assuming the best of that person, not the worst of that person. Actually, as we talk about shame, here's the thing we need to know about shame. We all have some. Everybody in this room has experienced shame. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, um, it's interesting, certain mistakes you make in life, no matter how long you live, like, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe for some of us like 40 years ago, you can still remember it. And here's the weird thing. When you have that memory, you still feel the shame. Like you can have that emotion. That emotion can immediately be felt because of something 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Because we've, we've all done things that are shameful. We've all committed sin. Everyone in here is guilty of it. But here's a hope I want to give you today. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says this Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy of set before him, endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to understand something. Jesus Christ bore your shame in his body that you might bear it no more. If we are free, then we are free indeed. But you got to fix your eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of the faith. Who's the writer of it? Who's the one that caused it? Who's the one that finishes it? He started it. He's going to finish it. It was never up to you in the first place that you might be saved. That's his work. He will carry that work into completion. Do you trust him with your shame? Because you need to bear it no more. He bore it on the cross because of the joy set before him. And I want you to understand something about this. You're the joy set before him. That we might be reconciled to him. No matter how shameful we had lived, that he demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, we have this hope that if God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that if you would believe in him, you would not perish, but have everlasting life. Today, have you believed? Is Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith and life? See, Lord. Out of all the things I could tell you today, I could help you have better relationships. What profit a man to gain this whole world yet forfeit his own soul? More than any other relationship to be reconciled today, my prayer is this, is that your relationship with the living God would be reconciled. Today you'd fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, and you'd confess your faith in him like we've seen done today. We're about to sing a song while we're singing. Some of us are gonna be up here in the front. We'd love to to pray with you talk with you about what it means to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Maybe some of you need prayer because you realize you've been living by some assumptions and you need to go get some relationships right. We're going to be up here even after the song is done singing. We'd love to have a conversation with you today. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me now and I'm going to pray for us and then let's worship together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift of Christ that you are the author and perfecter of our faith that you bore our shame, that we might bear it no more. Father God, I pray if there's someone here today who's never come to that place of faith, that today you would change them, not just for this day, but for all eternity. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.